0: We're starting a new series today called Big Church, not because our church is big, obviously, but the church is big, and the church is a big deal. Um, Today's topic is opening day. Um, Last two and a half years since COVID, um, church has taken kind of a big hit. Statistics are a little uh, difficult to figure out, but somewhere between 25, 33, maybe more percentage of people that are attending what we call church or, or corporate worship uh, aren't, aren't doing it anymore. Tennis has decreased by that much. Plus, there's been um, uh, scandals in the church, um, sexual abuse and those type things. The church has really taken a big hit recently. So I thought we'd talk about it, talk about what the church really is and what it's really supposed to look like. <laughs> so, when you hear the word church, what comes to mind? What thoughts come to mind? What feelings are associated with that? Now, for me personally, this is kind of my career, and so I love the church, the church in general. I love our church in particular. Um, Church is a good word for me, but what does it actually mean? So we're going to go back and look at the beginning. We're going to look at the first century church, and in the first century, when the church got started, opening day, so to speak the church was a movement all right maybe a little bit different than you're thinking the church was a movement okay and a movement moves right <laughs> in fact the move the church movement is still moving but it began as a church was a movement that was launched or began by an historical event and of course um, we celebrate that every Sunday, but especially on Easter. What was the event we celebrate? Well, the resurrection of Jesus. So the church, 2,000 years ago, began as a movement, launched and in support of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we made need to do some rethinking about that because often when we see a church, we think, this building, don't we? So we're going to do a little word study. So... Uh, The word that we translate in the Bible, church, is the Greek word ekklesia. Now, that's a cool word, right? Can you guys say that? You think you can say it? Let's try it. Ekklesia. Try it again. Ekklesia. Tim probably knew it, not only about anybody else. (laughs) All right. So that's the word, all right? Uh, Literally, that word means assembly or gathering or congregation or even be, be translated called out ones, all right? Now, when we read our Bible, it's translated what? Church, church. So we need to figure out when we read the word church, what it really means. And it was based on a simple mission, and we're going to look at that mission. Jesus gave us, we call the great commission, our assignment, our mission of this ecclesia, uh, we'll read that in a few minutes. Now, problem was about 3, 300 years later, translators of the Bible started translating that word, ekklesia, instead of uh, into this word, Lord's house, kirk. Now, that is a, well, German, but actually a Goth word that translates Lord's house. And it really is a going back to. Uh, Old Testament. Because the Old Testament, the Jewish people had a what? They had a Lord's house. What they call it? A temple, right? And so people would go there because that's where they thought God was. So it's a whole different concept from ecclesia, which means a gathering of the called out ones. And so probably a terrible thing happened that the concept of church went from being a group of called-out ones, to being a place where people went and where you met God. And so we, if you study church history, a lot of terrible things resulted from this misconcept or bad theology. What really happens, was, I put on your outline, whoever controlled that building, the Old Testament, the temple, uh, New Testament, church buildings, controlled the people, and they also controlled the scriptures, because most people didn't have the scriptures. In some cases, it controlled the government when it was combined. Uh, the church had control of governments in some countries. The other thing that happened was it became insider focused. As we're going to see, the Great Commission is not insider focused, it's just the opposite, outside focused. But the church became inside focused, focused on the things that happen inside buildings that we call churches. And so lots of embarrassing things that have happened through church history. Uh, different times, the uh, Crusades, and lots of other things, partially as a result of a misconcept of what ecclesia is, or church. So, back about uh, 500 years ago in the 16th century, a man in England by the name of William Tyndale, I talked about him before, he thought that was wrong. It was wrong for the people, we say hierarchy, inside of a church building controlling the people and especially controlling the scriptures, and so he came along. and He decided, I'm going to. He was British. He was uh, a scholar. He said, I'm going to translate the Bible into English. <laughs> All right, and so we can bring a picture of, of Tyndale. So he began to do that because he thought it was wrong for a small group of church leaders who control, especially scripture, and so he began translating it into English. You know what happened to him? Yeah, 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 that was great. You know what church leaders did? Mm-hmm. Well, initially they persecuted him. And so he, he ran off to Germany, of all places, and continued his work of translating. And then the scriptures were sent into England. Another important thing happened was a printing press had already been invented so they could make copies of this. So this went on until, fifth, uh, what, 12 years later? In 1536... A friend of his betrayed him, and he got a, came back to England, he got arrested. <laughs> kind of crazy, but they hung him, and then they burned him. I mean, how many times you have to kill a guy, right? Why? Because he was translating the Bible from Greek and Hebrew into English. Now, we all take it for granted. I've got a dozen Bibles written in English. I've got a Greek Bible, a Greek New Testament, and so forth. Um, but that's why he was killed, and that's one reason why you and I can be thankful that we have a Bible in English. <clears throat> so, th- one of the things that upset them, amongst many other things, was when he translated the word ekklesia, And I couldn't find a copy of the Tyndale Bible. Um, when he translated ekklesia, I could have bought one, I guess, but free one I couldn't find. He translated it congregation. So I went on Bible Gateway. Some of you have been on Bible Gateway. I counted. There are 61 English translations on Bible Gateway. And I looked at every one. There are six that translate that ecclesia, some other word than church. Three of them actually translated it congregation. All right? So we're going to see where Jesus used that word, and we're going to use a translation where it translates it differently. So Jesus, about his ministry, in the middle of his ministry, he comes to his disciples, his guys, one day and says, hey, 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 i got a question for you. Who do people say I am? Who do people think I am? And they said, well, kind of a weird answer to me. Some people think you're the re- basically the reincarnation or the reanimation or whatever word you want to use of John the Baptist, which is confusing because they both coexisted, right? At for, for part of time, some say you're, you know, re- reincarnation of one of the Old Testament prophets. Kind of a strange concept or tr- strange answer. So Jesus said, okay, okay. And we read the text here. He asked them, his disciples said, I, who do you think I am? Who do you think I say I am? And I could ask you the same question. Who do you think Jesus is? Well, Simon Peter spoke up. And he answered the question. Here's what he said. You are the Messiah. have been waiting a thousand years for, this, for you to show up. You are him, the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. Jesus said, great answer. You are blessed, Simon, because my Father in heaven has, rev- not, has revealed this to you. You have not learned this from any human being. And if I was to ask you and you were to answer the same way, I could say the same thing. You didn't learn this from any human being. God has revealed it to you. And those people that are not Jesus' follower, it has not been revealed to them. Now, let me get to the key verse here. He says this. I tell you, Jesus speaking to Peter, that you, Peter, is on this rock. What rock? I think it's been misinterpreted. Peter Was the church built on Peter? No. Who's it built on? Jesus Christ. So I would say it's on this testimony, the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one that your church is built on. And he said, and I will build, he didn't use the word church, he translated ecclesia, that's the word there. I will build my ecclesia, I will build my congregation, I will build my assembly. And the powers of hell, some translation, I think better translations, actually the powers of death will not conquer it. The greatest power hell has is death, physical death, spiritual death if you don't accept Jesus. So he says, those powers can't stop the church. So then about, well, Jesus is crucified, resurrected. And he hangs out here with the disciples on earth and his followers for about 40, year, 40 days, all right? And then he, he shares what we call the Great Commission. It's in Matthew uh, uh, it's in Matthew's account. We're actually going to read it in Acts chapter one. And he makes a prediction as he did here. Now, <clears throat> Luke wrote Acts. So we got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I would suggest to you sometime that once you've read Luke, don't read John next, but read Luke, uh, Acts next. It's like uh, volume one and volume two. And so Luke went around, Luke wasn't there, but Luke went around, well, he was there for part of the book of Acts, but he went out interviewing people. It's like a newspaper reporter, getting all the facts, getting all the details, and he put it together for us. And so in Acts chapter one, Jesus 40 days is over, he's gathered with the hundred so people on a hill, and he starts to talk to them. Well, first the disciples, the apostles, asked Jesus. they have been repeatedly asking this. They kept asking him, Lord, 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 has the time finally come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? So what did they hope would happen when Jesus, before he was crucified? Messiah is going to set up this earthly kingdom and get rid of the Romans. That's what they thought. Then he died and they gave up that dream, but now he was resurrected, so they still have this dream, this vision. Now, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God a lot, but they didn't understand it wasn't this earthly kingdom. So, last time he's going to talk to him. he hears his response to this question, final time. He says, all right, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know, all right? So I basically can't answer that question. But, now this is huge but. This is uh, tremendous. This is enormous. But you will receive power. Now power is normally a good thing. We think of power being a good thing, right? It can be abused. But we have electrical power in here. So we can have a microphone and lights and air conditioning and all these other things, right? So he said you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So it hadn't happened yet. This is future tense. And you will be what? What will you do with this power? Really important. He said, you will be my witnesses. Now we hear the word witness, we, I think of in court, right? So bring somebody up to stand in the court, and they say, You are our witness. You observed, you saw this. Just tell us what you saw, right? What you experienced. So that's what he said, okay, with this power, the Holy Spirit's going to give you. You're going to be in my ecclesia. And the ecclesia is going to do what? They're going to tell people about me everywhere. So not something you heard, not something you made up, but something you witnessed, something you experienced. Now he says, okay, you're going to do that here in Jerusalem, but not just here in Jerusalem. You're going to do it through the whole country of Judea. In fact, you're going to go beyond the country of Judea. Now, here's where it gets a little tricky for the, for the listeners because Jewish people didn't like Samaritans. <laughs> he said, but you're going to take, the, you're going to take this, this witness to the Samaritans and then even to the ends of the earth. Now, they had no concept what "end of the earth meant. Maybe the Roman Empire, but the world was so much bigger than that that they had no clue. Now, simple question. Did that come true? Did Jesus' prediction come true? Is the church all over the world? Yeah, absolutely. Isn't that amazing? It started out with this hundred and twenty people. And so Jesus leaves, and they're staring there, looking up to the sky. And these two guys come along and said, um, uh, get to work! <laughs> Stop standing here staring up into the sky. Jesus, Jesus will be back someday." And so, text goes on for the next ten days. There's some activity. They, they. Uh, They elect somebody to replace Judas, so they still have 12 disciples. And then they're gathered um, in a a room and praying, about 120 of them. Now, why are they there? Well, one of the reasons is because it's a celebration of the next big Jewish holiday. Uh, Passover, which we celebrate as Easter, was the biggest Jewish holiday and the biggest Christian holiday. Well, 50 days later is what's called Pentecost. And the closest thing in English we have it to it is Thanksgiving. It was a, a celebration of the first harvest. Um, and it goes all the way back, in, in some sense, all the way back to Moses and the Ten Commandments. So it's a pretty big holiday. Uh, three big Jewish holidays. Pentecost is two, the second of the three. Anyway, so people from, uh, Jews from all over the area come to Jerusalem just like they do during Passover to celebrate Pentecost. Now, Pentecost um, goes all the way back also to the Jubilee. If you read the Old Testament, Jubilee is what? Every, uh, who knows how many days, how many years? Every 50 years, all right? And so, it's a celebration. So, they're gathered and they're praying and then something happens. There's this sound and there's this vision of tongues uh, uh, just kind of very um, uh, what's the word I want um, you feel it with, with your um, senses <laughs> very sensual and um, the scripture says that that was the Holy Spirit was coming and we'll pick up the text in Acts chapter 2 verse 4 everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit so there's 120 people or so now what was evidence that they were filled with the Holy Spirit Did he just get a tickle down their spine? What was the evidence? Maybe they did. I don't know. It wasn't there. Uh, They began speaking other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So um, I don't know how many people know another language. I used to know another language, but it took me two years, or pretty much part of two years before I could actually function as a pastor in that other language. Can you imagine being able to do it just like that? Isn't that amazing? Now, the reason we know that is because as you read the text goes on, um, the whole crowd they they go out into the street and the crowd, and they all hear uh, what's going to be called the first sermon by Peter in their own language, and they're amazed at that. There's ten or twelve other areas of the world that are are mentioned, and I don't know the logistics of how that happened, but somehow it happened. And so what we find is, right from the beginning, the first day of the church, we find it was multinational, multi-ethnic, multicultural. There was, like I said, 12, 10 or 12 areas represented. Um, so, different languages, different ethnicities, different cultural backgrounds. Ecclesia was not supposed to be limited just to, to Jews and Judaism. So, Peter gets up, and preaches, and uh, like a good preacher, he uses his, a, a, a scripture text for him. It was Old Testament. And then after he reads that text, we'll pick up the story there. People of Israel, listen! So they were either Israelites, they were Jewish, or converts. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you all well know. Okay, so 50 days earlier, Jesus around doing miracles, right? So many of these people witnessed it or at least heard about it because um, it was just 50 days earlier. So, now last week we, we, we read about Peter denying Jesus three times and then whipping, weeping bitterly. But Jesus said ahead of time that he was going to Pray for Peter, right? So let me ask you a question. Did Jesus' prayer get answered? Of all the people who could have preached the first sermon of the opening day of the church, who got picked? Peter did. And I don't know about you, maybe sometime you've, you've done something you think that disqualifies you from God using you. Don't ever believe that. Peter's a perfect example. Anyway, he goes on. But God God knew what would happen. Okay, folks, this is really important. Was God surprised when Jesus was crucified? No. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. In fact, it was part of his, this translation says, prearranged plan. So God's never surprised. And so you and I may be surprised at things that happen in our lives, but God's never surprised. Everything that happens, happens because of God's permissive will. Now, He did not cause it all to happen. We do lots of dumb stuff, and sometimes we suffer the consequences from it. Can you imagine if God wasn't gracious, if we suffered consequences of all the dumb stuff we did? So God isn't gracious, and He spares us from any of those things. Now, if you've ever been a public speaker, and talking to a crowd, or making a class, and public speaking, or whatever... Peter's going to do something nobody's going to recommend to you. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to condemn the whole group. Here's what he says. With the help of the lawless Gentiles, the Romans, right? Romans wouldn't allow Jews to kill anybody, so they had to get the Romans to kill him. You, all right, who's he talking to? <laughs> the Jewish people. You nailed him to a cross and killed him. In fact, I can stand up here and say, you and you nailed him to a cross and killed him. Because why did Jesus allow himself to be crucified? Because of your sins, my sins, their sins. So, was the crucifixion of Jesus some out-of-control event in history? Absolutely not. Just like there's no out-of-control events in history today. Even though terrible things happen, like children being killed, In a school. Text goes on. But God released him, Jesus, from the horrors of death, raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. There's that event that launched the church, right? The death and resurrection. Next verse says, God raised Jesus from the dead. And we are all witnesses of this. We've seen it. We've experienced it. Well, that's all we're going to do. We're going to tell you what we've seen, experienced, and heard. <clears throat> now, text goes on. He reads, he reads a little bit more from the Old Testament, and then he says this. Now he, Jesus, is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven, God's right hand, and as the Father, as he has promised, the Father has promised. Promises of God are so critical, folks. Can God not keep his promise? No, every promise of God, God's got to keep. So if he promised this, he's got to keep it. He gave the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. Text goes on. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Again, you guys did it to be both Lord, boss, and Messiah. Now, okay, Peter's just told you, you're all a bunch of murderers. How are you going to respond to that? Well, Holy Spirit was there, right? Holy Spirit was in Peter's words. So, text goes on. Peter's words pierced their hearts. They didn't get defensive. He said, no, we didn't do it. It wasn't our fault. Yeah, you're right. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Is it too late? Is it too late? Is it too late for them? Is it too late for you? Is it too late for any of us? No. It's interesting as a pastor, after we share a message, uh, we invite people to Jesus. You know what happened to the first sermon? The people ask. Peter didn't have to tell them. Well, he did tell them that they ask. Now, facetiously. Peter's reply was what? Well, you guys just need to attend regularly a building designated for Christian worship. Is that what he said? Bring that up. (laughs) That's not what he said, was it? What's Peter's reply? Now, that's a good thing to do. But that's not what you need to do as a result of your sins and my sins. Jesus, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Repent means to turn around. So if I'm sinning this way, I stop sinning. But it's significant that you've got to stop sinning and turn that over to God because God's the only one who can forgive sin. And be baptized. That's an outward sign of what's happening on the inside. In the name of Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. That's a promise. Most of you are Jesus' followers. You and I have done that. And the text goes on. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, I have the Holy Spirit in me. And Jesus, Father, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Power. Remember, that's power. Sometimes we feel so powerless, don't we? God's promise. We have almighty power. And he goes on. He said, this promise is to you. Again, there's that word promise. To you, to your children, and to those far away. So, what is he talking about? People over in Rome? Well, yeah. But he's talking about generations, right? You, your children, their children. So guess what? He's talking about you and I. We're far away chronologically, aren't we? All who have been called by the Lord our God. And the text, text finishes with this summation. Those who believed, what Peter said, were baptized in attitude church that day. About three 1,000 in all. Now, I got to think about this logistics of baptizing 3,000 people. How do you do that? How long does that take? I got to say, okay, you got 12 disciples, divide up 3,000. That's almost 300 apiece. And I was thinking back about 20 years ago, we used to baptize in Greenbauer Lake. And one day we baptized on 16, 17 people. Well, I was getting tired by the time I got 16, 17 people. Uh, I can't imagine. The logistics must have been a a nightmare. But somehow they baptized 3,000 people. So the church started out big, didn't it? I don't know about you. I've never been a part of a a church of 3,000 people. I've been a gathering, so ecclesia of 3,000 people, but not a local body of 3,000 people. And it had so much uh, momentum. We're going to see as we look at the next couple chapters next week, momentum that, that was beginning to build as a result of this. Now, we have lots of, call them denominations or types of churches, church bodies that, that worship different ways. But what is the common denominator? different names, we do things differently, but there's one thing we have in common. And what is that? That's that event that launched the church, right? Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that he was crucified, and three days later rose from the dead. And if you put your faith and trust in him, you will receive the gift of eternal life. And there's always been a group that held to that, we call the Great Commission. Now, I'm going to end with talking about one of my pet peeves with the American church. Because of the nature of Americans, I guess part of it is that it is too individualized. We talk about Jesus Christ died to save you, and you do this, and you do that. That's really not an accurate New Testament concept of the ecclesia. So I came across a statement that I thought was pretty powerful. It kind of clarifies this. God's intention is not the fashioning of mere individuals. God's intent wasn't just to save you and just to save me. All right, That was not his intent. It was but uh, of a mature community. The church was God's idea. It was God's creation. And he said, okay, you are to be my ecclesia. You're to be my group. You're to be my congregation. So Christ Jesus died for the ecclesia. We say the church. Us corporately. Us as a community. And especially, like I said, people are dishing diss- the church. Uh, corporate church. They need to understand the church is the ecclesia. So that said, next step. <clears throat> Talk about a power. Your power, my power, is multiplied as we prioritize connecting with Jesus' followers. To be in a building, it doesn't have to be in a building. Ecclesia happened yesterday under a tent, right? So challenge for you to prioritize, not just this coming week, but especially this week, connecting This week. Those of you in a small group, you already have a built-in way to do it. Others of you, figure out a way to gather with other Jesus followers. Next week, if you want to read ahead, we're going to try and cover Acts chapter 3 and 4. hope you can join us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. We thank you for the church. I can't imagine being a Jesus follower without it. We're not to be long rangers. It would be almost so difficult. Do on our own, and our power—amazing! Our power is magnified or multiplied as we connect with each other. But we do want to pray or ask, as those folks did on that opening day of the church, "What do we need to do to be saved?" Our common response is, "For God so loved the world, that He gave His only." Begotten Son, whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. You'll have sins forgiven and connection with God. And I pray if you're not a Jesus follower, today would be the day you would accept it again. It's a gift. And along with that gift comes power. Most of us are Jesus followers. God, I would pray that we would rethink our concept of church. And understand, it's the gathering, it's the connecting, it's the community. We Thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name we pray.